0: Those who follow the Lord Jesus, who lives like he lives, who speaks like he speaks, who upholds what he upholds, will be hated by the world. Now, we're not to hate the world. Hey, listen, it wasn't that long ago many of us were a part of the world system. But God in his mercy rescued us, and so we are to have compassion on the world.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogi, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are currently in a series on evangelizing, and today is part two of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, A Courageous Witness. Today, we will see that as we share our faith with unbelievers, Christians should not be surprised when opposition finds us. Furthermore, Pastor Carl shows us that in the midst of persecution, sometimes that is when God's power shows itself the greatest. Please join us in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 18, as we continue.
0: I believe we are now in the last of the last days, especially since the prophet said at the end of time, God would gather the Jews. Even 100 years ago, that was laughed at. And that's why, while today Israel has two key threats... They have militant Islam, uh, the Muslims, who threaten them with annihilation. But then we have the threat today of replacement theology that basically dismisses the role that God has for the people of Israel. You know, as the centuries went by, people reasoned, well, I guess maybe we misunderstood the Scripture, and 500 years went by, and 1,000 years went by, and 1,500 years went by, and Rome by then had taught from the time of Augustine that they were the new Israel. And so they were delegitimizing the people of Israel as God's tool that would bring back the Messiah. And yet here we have seen the Jews grow from 20,000 people in Israel, And the prophet asks, can a nation, can a people become a nation in one day? And apparently, and God documented it, the answer is yes. And now there are approximately 8 million Jews of the 12 and a half, 13 million Jews that are in the world. Not by accident, God said He would gather them from the four corners of the world. And there's two gatherings, there's the initial gathering for that time during the tribulation period, things that need to be in place, and then there's the final gathering at the end of the tribulation where He will send His angels and bring the remainder back there to the valley of decision. So, when we see these super signs unfolding, we know we are in the last of the last days. Now, it's foolish for you to try to Uh, figure out or guess the hour because we don't know the hour, so don't waste your time trying to figure out the hour because God doesn't tell us the hour of the day. But He said, this day should not overtake you because you're not in darkness. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's like a commentary in our day. Listen to what First Timothy 4 and verse 1 says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, now that is a term that is reserved unlike last days for the time frame at the end of the age before the Messiah lands on the Mount of Olives. The Spirit explicitly says in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. It's articular, meaning the body of truth we call the Bible, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. That's what we have going on today, the teaching of demons, to say that a man can become a woman, that a woman can become a man, that a man can, quote, unquote, become pregnant that homosexuality is fine, that getting drunk is just something that you should enjoy, that we ought to legalize pot, though all the sheriffs in all the counties across the nation formally opposed it because they saw it as a gateway drug to call good evil and evil good. These are doctrines of demons. These are the days in which we are living. There is a tidal wave of sin that is coming upon our world in these last days. And because men hate the light and they love the darkness, it means more and more opposition. You should share these verses with your children. You should get them to memorize some of these verses. Jot down John 15, 18 through 20. John 15, 18 through 20. Listen to what Jesus said of the world's hatred. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He pulls no punches. He tells his disciples that our relationship to the world can be serious and, yes, even dangerous. Now, when he says, if the world hates you, he is not implying that there's doubt in this matter. It's what linguists call a first-class conditional statement. Just like in English, from time to time, we use a rhetorical question for emphasis. They use this particular grammatical structure to underscore the reality of what is going to happen. So he doesn't want us to be surprised when opposition comes. John will write in his first epistle in John 3.13, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. And of course, Jesus told us earlier in John's gospel the ultimate reason the world would hate us. He said, well, why do they hate us? Well, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7 and verse 7, the world hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. The world has never loved the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he is the light of the world. And when you turn on the light, it reveals the sin. And if we are the light of the world as believers, not to be put under a basket, but to be put up high on a peck measure so that everyone can benefit from the light, know that they will hate you as well. Listen to what Jesus went on to say in John 15, 19. If you were of the world, applying that we are not, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you do not belong to the world, you are not a recipient of the world's love. The world loves its own. Those who follow the Lord Jesus, who lives like he lives, who speaks like he speaks, who upholds what he upholds, will be hated by the world. Now, we're not to hate the world. Hey, listen, it wasn't that long ago many of us were a part of the world system, but God in His mercy rescued us, and so we are to have compassion on the world. But the world by nature, Jesus is underscoring, is a society of rebels, and they will rebel against the allegiance to the king to whom they should submit. But he continues, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Because I chose you out of the world, this is why they hate us. It's not that we're out of step, we're out of place. Remember, here's is, is as plain as he could say it. remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So if Jesus could not escape persecution, what makes us think that we can escape persecution? He is the head of the body. We are members of him. That's why when Saul had been persecuting the church and he met the Lord, the risen Lord in the Damascus road, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? he had never physically laid a hand on Jesus, but to persecute his church is to persecute the Lord himself. But listen, it's not all bad news. Look again at the end of verse 20. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. That's the positive aspect that we do not want to overlook. Some people kept Jesus' words, and so some will keep your word as well. They will respond. But listen, if I preach in such a way that everyone likes me, I know I'm doing something wrong. Listen to what Jesus said on a parallel occasion where he didn't give the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain. It was a different sermon. But he made this statement in Luke 6, 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the false prophets. The false prophets... Well, everyone liked them, and if everyone likes you, there's something wrong. So we need to be prepared for persecution. It might be verbal, it might be that you're left out, the phone doesn't ring, and they don't include you in the activities that they used to include you in. It might literally be physical. As God's people, we should be praying for the church in Afghanistan. The inner story that is coming out is believers are being beheaded. There's our government keeping its promises. Be prepared for persecution. Number two, if you are to be courageous, you must be empowered for proclamation. You must be empowered for proclamation look now, if you will, at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. All the heavyweights, the rulers and the elders, they're a part of an organization known as the council. Now, you can either translate the word or you can transliterate the word. The word is suneron, and it means a council or a sitting together in Greek. And so some of your Bibles say council. some of it, some of your Bibles just transliterate the word from Greek into English, and they call it the Sanhedrin. It's the same group of people. Seventy men, their origins go back to Numbers 11, at least that's what they claimed in Jesus' day. And so the chief priests were there, the high priest was there. The temple guard, they were all members of it. These were wealthy, aristocratic people, 70 men that formed, in essence, the Supreme Court of Israel. They adjudicated on all the major religious issues. And of course, um, this, as Mark chapter 14 indicates, was the same group of men that Jesus stood up before on the night when He was betrayed. And so notice, Luke sets the stage for the drama. Circle the word and, it's found six times. There are different words in the Greek New Testament that are translated and into English. And when you want to string each an individual event or person together, you use the same word. So Luke is underscoring, which the first century reader immediately picked up, You won't believe who is here when Peter and John are brought in before the council and interrogated, and he wants to underscore each and every member that was present, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, and if that were not enough, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And let me say that when you read your New Testament, sometimes it's a little confusing because in some places you'll read that Annas is the high priest, in other places Caiaphas is the high priest. Well, there were actually two high priests. Now in God's economy, the job of being a high priest was a lifetime role. And a high priest was not replaced until you died. But the predecessor to Pontius Pilate, was a man by the name of Valerius Gratus, and Valerius Gratus thought that Annas the high priest was getting too powerful, so he wanted to replace him, and so he replaced him with a person he thought the people would accept, namely Annas's son-in-law. His name was Caiaphas. Most of you know of him. And so in one sense, some people only fall on us because they recognize, well, he's the true legitimate high priest, but it's Caiaphas who's the one who has the power and the authority and the dialogue with the Roman government. And so in addition, there are people of high priestly descent, John and Alexander, who presumably could trace their family roots back to the high priest of Israel. In other words, his point is, these are the big shots talk about intimidation. Peter and John, they're they're out of their league. These are wealthy, powerful men dressed in their fine robes, articulate in their speech. And here are these two hillbillies from Galilee. Verse 7, when they had placed them in the center… Peter and John, and as we'll see in a moment, the paralyzed man who had been healed, the three of them, when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Now, again, this is the same group that just two months before said, Jesus, you are guilty of blasphemy. Are you the son of man Yes, he said, Caiaphas tore his robes. We don't have any further need of testimony. He has committed blasphemy. But Rome could care less about some religious charge. So they bring the Lord Jesus before Pilate and they accuse him of a political charge. He claims to be a king and nobody competes with Caesar. And so they're going after Peter and John. They're in the middle of the group with this man who had been healed. There's a certain comfort in numbers and formalism. They think they're in control. And they ask, by what power or by what name? That's a parallelism in the original. To ask one is to ask the other because the power is always linked to a name. And so by what power or by what name have you done this miracle? You see, they can't deny the miracle. It's true. Everybody knew it. Look at Peter's response. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are in trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, And that blows their authority away. By the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. Now think about this. They're persecuted, but they're bold. They're powerful. And in the midst of persecution, sometimes that's when God's power shows itself the greatest but I want you to see the source of this power. How is it they could be so bold in the midst of all this opposition? Again in verse eight, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. Now, if you have the new American standard with marginal notes, and you should get one if you don't have one, and if you're new, if you come to a meet the pastor, like tonight at 530, you will be given one, you'll be gifted one from an anonymous source in our church. But marginal notes are helpful because sometimes when there's something going on in the Greek text, so play on words or something, they'll note maybe the literal rendering. Sometimes the literal rendering from the original language into the receptor language doesn't translate real smoothly, but they put it out there because it's important. So look in the margin. It says more literally, having just been filled with the Holy Spirit. You see that? Having just been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me make some important distinctions here as it relates to your and my relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. One important aspect of the Holy Spirit's work in your life is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of our Pentecostal brethren will say, well, first you get saved, and then after you're saved, you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Typically, they would argue, accompanied with speaking in tongues. But they put this experience as something that happens after salvation, and they do this based on a historical book like Acts to argue this. Now, Acts is a historical book. It's not that you cannot learn doctrine from the book of Acts. You certainly can. But the doctrine needs to be weighed in light of the epistles, because there were some things that were changing, Moving from the old covenant into the new covenant. So, if you remember there on the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to the 500 who were, uh, the, the 120 who were present, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, he says, Don't go out, don't preach the gospel. I just want you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And 10 days later, On Sukkot or Pentecost, the Lord Jesus sends the Spirit of God just as He promised. And there was a supernatural manifestation where they spoke in tongues. Nothing like the nonsense we see today. Real languages, real dialects, what we see today is no different from what Hindus do across India. And so people would say, now wait a minute, those folks, those 120, were they not saved? Yes. What if they had a heart attack there on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended? Would they go to heaven? Of course they would. They would save people. But wait a minute. They hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. Of course not. Because Jesus said the Spirit would not be given until He would go to heaven, and then He would send the Spirit. But understand, after Pentecost, with a couple of unique exceptions because of what was unfolding from the moment someone believes, they are baptized by the Spirit. So in Ephesians chapter 1, for instance, Paul will write, in him, that is in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, what's the message of truth? The gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So you hear the message because you can't believe until you hear. Once you hear, you believe, and then what happens? You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge, like earnest money, like a down payment, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, that is of things to come, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22 tells us the same truth. That the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit as a pledge. He is God's seal. That he that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. The day of Christ Jesus is when your salvation is completed. He is sealed in you, Ephesians 4.30 will say, for the day of redemption. He goes in there. He's locked in there forever. That's why Jesus says in John 14 and verse 16, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. That he may be with you forever. Do you know how long forever is? Forever. These people who say, well, you can get saved and then unsaved. That's just stupid. These people who say you can lose your salvation. That's just sheer ignorance and it is mishandling the word of God. The Spirit of God is in you forever. You are sailed for the day of redemption. That's why Paul can say in Romans 8 9, because by this time in the history of the church, the moment you believe, you receive the Spirit, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong into him. That's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So when Paul writes to Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12 13, he will say, If we're by one Spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one. Spirit. And if you are saved, if you've been born again, you've been marked by the Spirit of God for heaven. And if you've not been born again, you are still marked for condemnation and for hell. Now, beyond the baptism of the Spirit, there's what we might call the filling of the Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an accomplished fact. It's assumed for every true child of God by the time the epistles are written post-Pentecost whereas the filling of the Spirit of God is conditional. It's based on your receptivity. It's based on your humility. And if sin fills your life, then the Spirit of God cannot fill your life. There's a command in Ephesians 5 in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. It's a loss of control. But be filled, plerao, with the Spirit, When a man's drunk with wine, the wine is in control. When he's filled with wine, his walk and his talk is influenced. When you're filled with the Spirit, so will your walk and talk be influenced. And so a Christian who has no unconfessed sin a believer who's totally yielded to the living God, God, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to say, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to give, I'm totally yours. And you go in dependence upon the Spirit of God like a man needs oxygen to survive. You need the Spirit of God to live a holy life. Then you'll be filled with the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit progressively will manifest itself. And so Jesus in John 15 speaks of no fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. With every year that goes by, you have more of those nine qualities working in your life. So there's the baptism of the Spirit, there's the filling of the Spirit, and then there's what this passage really highlights, what we often call as theologues as the anointing of the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit. This is what's in view here in Acts 48, where it says, Peter, having just been filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up to speak. Now, this is not the word plerao, be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5. It's a different word for filling. And it's an important distinction. And to make that distinction, people will often call this, and rightly so, the anointing of the Spirit. Question, was Peter filled when he was arrested? Of course he was. He just did by the power of the resurrected Lord and in his authority. He did a miracle, and then he preached the gospel from that miracle. Of course, he was filled with the Spirit. But as he stood up, the text underscores that there is this having just been filled with the Spirit. And so what verse 8 is underscoring is that sometimes you are brought into a particular situation Maybe you weren't even planning to be in that situation where you need a special touch from Almighty God. Maybe it's a song that you need to sing. Maybe it's a specific task. Maybe you're called to to preach God's Word, to witness, to administer, and and you just need a special touch from God. And, And you might say, Lord, I know that you've baptized me with the Spirit. I know I'm indwelt with you for the day of redemption and He'll never leave me. I know as best I can understand that I'm filled with you. My, my heart is clean horizontally and vertically, but God, I need you to help me right now. You know, you're in a situation, all of a sudden you have a chance to speak for Christ. Someone at work is talking about the beauty of transgenderism, and God says, what are you going to say? Are you going to stand for me or are you going to stand with them? Or the conversation changes to spiritual things, and God brings an open door, and we'll talk about that next week. You don't want to miss next week's message. It's very important to becoming a consistent messenger for Christ. And God opens the door and you say, Lord, I wasn't prepared for this. Please help me. And the Spirit of God just in a fresh way for that moment comes upon you. That's what's happening here. There's a special empowerment by the Spirit of God. And so here's Peter and John and this healed man in the center of this large group. Verse 11. By the way, I, um, I mean, don't go to verse 11. What I'm thinking of is Mark uh, 13, 11. I can't help but think that when he is called upon right now to preach, that what comes to his mind is what Jesus had said a couple months earlier. He said, when they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speaks, but is the Holy Spirit. My brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are going to be effective in sharing the gospel, when God opens those doors, your heart should be saying, Lord, I need your help right now.
1: Please join us tomorrow for part three and the conclusion of Dr. Brogie's sermon entitled, A Courageous Witness. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program, A Courageous Witness. Remember that if you have a question you would like to ask Pastor Brogy personally, you can do that on Tuesdays between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the Scriptures.